Welcome to the Andrew Young School Podcast, where each month we interview a member of the Andrew Young School community who embodies the school's charge to think ahead and innovate in the fields of criminal justice, economics, public management and policy, social work, and urban studies. In this episode, we speak with Michael Polachek, a budget and policy analyst at the Georgia House of Representatives and an alumnus of the Andrew Young School. During our conversation, Michael discusses how his family's immigration from Czechoslovakia to the United States inspired him to pursue a career in public service. He then explains his role in the state capitol and how his experiences at the Andrew Young School led him to his current position in state government. So I'm here with Michael Polachek. Michael, thanks for sitting down with us socially distantly today. Thank you for having me, Taylor. It's a pleasure and a real humble to have this conversation with you. So first things first, I want to start pretty broad. What sparked your desire to work in the public sector? Sure. Great question. Um, I have to go to a time before I was born. Uh, My parents immigrated here from Czechoslovakia in the 80s, along with my sister. And a quick history lesson. So after World War II, the Soviets um, occupied Czechoslovakia, which is where my family resides and is from. And there was, you know, the, the Eastern Bloc after World War II was a very, uh, it was a very turbulent time during that time in history. Coming out of World War II, there were a lot of economies that were broken and people desperate to get their lives and their countries back on track. So in 1948, the communist regime took over Czechoslovakia. And fast forward to 20 years, the uh, Soviets ended up physically occupying Czechoslovakia to kind of calm some rebellious tensions that were occurring within the communist government there. So the communists implemented their government in 1948, and then the Soviets came in 1968. And my mom, I I remember her telling me she still remembers tanks rolling into the main strip in her town, uh, which is lean in Eastern Czech Republic, which she thought was an earthquake happening. And she looks outside, They, they live on the main strip in that town. And all she sees are Russian tanks coming in and then leave for another 30 years about. So when my parents met each other, my father was very um, passionate about wanting a new life. He did not want his kids growing up in this sort of government and, you know, inspired my mom to, come along and um, they they started formulating an escape plan um, to get out of the country because the communist government wasn't really too keen on letting residents leave the Eastern Bloc. So they originally planned on escaping right after they got married. Uh, and then my sister ended up being born in 1980. So that delayed their plans of escaping another five years I remember asking them, why? Why did y'all wait? And they said, well, your sister needed to be able to run with us physically on foot. She needed to be able to run fast enough to keep up with us. So 1985, at this time, there was a large, you know, past several decades, underground network of folks um, who were against the communist government um, and that that was a very particular time in history. A lot of great 
artists um, and writers were coming out of that time of of Bohemian hi- history, and uh, one of them is actually Václav Havel, who became the first president. And, uh, you know, so there was a large, he was kind of the leader and there was a large underground network and folks were escaping, um, the, the Eastern Bloc. So my parents kind of fell into that and found a way through some mutual friends and, you know, leaving their families, not telling anyone where they're going. So if, if you can imagine leaving now your situation and not telling any family members where you're going, you just disappear. And you don't know if you're ever going to see them again, but they were committed to a better life for their kids. So they had a sprint across the border and there are guards on the border and they had a sprint into Italy at the time. That was a a free country. And um, they went into a refugee camp where they stayed for six months waiting on their green card to the country. And that was almost as bad as, as anything waiting in that immigration camp, because technically they were, seeking political asylum as political refugees. So they, they waited there for six months. And at that time, um, North American governments were very uh, keen to accepting refugees. And through the church system, they decided uh, that they got linked up with some refugee services and came to this country. And that was a a very um, rough time they came and with just a few dollars in their pockets. So they had about 200 marks at that time. That was a currency over there and a a suitcase of clothes. And they started here and thanks to, at that time it was formerly known as, as the Lutheran refugee services based here in Atlanta, got them started and really sponsored. They were sponsoring different families from uh, around the world, but mainly that time Eastern Europe and, uh, it was just really, really neat. And we, we stay in touch with those folks that help sponsor them. So I've gotten to know them and, um, her name's Jean and I call her my American grandma. <laughs> um, and she was really essential to, to the start of my family's American dream. Um, so I was born in 1991 and I was, you know, brought into, uh, a family that believed in the dream of this country. And slowly that dream was manifesting for them. My mom was a nurse and through uh, some fortunate events, she was able to get her nursing license transferred over from Czechoslovakia. And my dad at the time, he he spoke several languages. Uh, He was well taught in that. So he, he already knew some English and he got started working in the hospitality industry at hotels. And so I was from the beginning, it was very humble beginnings for my parents. I mean, starting from nothing, but slowly they grew, right? Like a couple of years later, got their apartment. A couple of years after, a few years after that, bought their first home in Powder Springs. And uh, that's where I was born. And, um, my dad ended up getting a job with Delta Airlines as a ticket agent. And that that actually is, is, is part of the, the story too, because that gave me the opportunity through some really privileged benefits that you get as being a part of a Delta family. I had the fortune of being able to travel back to Europe every single year of my life. And I would spend all my summers there. Um, and it was that, that was a really eye-opening experience for me 
and I culturally got to see the world through a different lens compared to um, my American friends. And also had the fortune of traveling to different countries on vacation, uh, fortunately, and just, just started to see the world in a different way. And that, that was kind of the spark. I, I was living these two identities as a Czech American, first gen, first American born in my family, but also growing up. And I'm very, as I become older, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to identify with my Czech heritage and Czech culture. These values were instilled in me, right? This idea that the American dream is available, um, which I think back then was a little different than it is today. Um, but it was part of my identity earlier on. And I remember coming home and watching the news every day, right? With my dad. Um, and that just got me informed about what was happening, got me interested. I became interested in knowing what's happening in the world. Now I'm 10, 12 years old and I'm watching the news. I'm interested in all of this and, uh, traveling and, you know, being over there during the summers, I, uh, got involved in like a political club in ninth grade. So public policy and the role of government, um, the political spheres, um, they were definitely a part of my inspiration um, to be of public service. So that's one part. So then you fast forward into my freshman year in college at Kennesaw State University. And I think a lot of folks go through this where they're super excited to be out of their homes and they realize, Oh, I have freedom. And I think I like to party a little bit that time. Um, but for me, it, it got to a point where the party got out of hand. Um, and you know, today, uh, I, I identify also as a person, long-term recovery from substance use disorder. So for me, that means I've been drug and alcohol free for over 10 years. Very, Gratefully so, just shy of 10 years. And that experience as well, which again, that probably could be a whole podcast episode too. And there's many of us folks in recovery um, in our society. Um, but that definitely had an impact as well. So the recovery process is very transformative for a human being. And I'm very fortunate that I got to a point where, uh, you know, you, you hear the term rock bottom and I had hit an emotional and, and, and physical and spiritual rock bottom with my addiction, um, just at the tail end of my freshman year at, at Kennesaw state. And I needed help. I had been defeated. And fortunately for three seconds, I became willing and told my mom what was going on. And uh, luckily, I was able to get into treatment and, and get some help. And luckily, that continued. And I've, I've stayed in, in recovery ever since through all sorts of, you know, different power motives and people supporting me and recovery programs and such. So through this process, you know, I, a couple years into my recovery journey, I come back to Kennesaw State University. They actually had a really neat recovery program there, and they still do. And their addiction recovery center um, is nationally known and recognized. So they've become a leader in collegiate recovery programs on college campuses around the country. They're one of the first five, first 10 uh, around the country. And I think today there's over 150 programs. And this is only 12, 13 years ago. Uh, so through that, as a student, I was able to graduate 
and I got really inspired by work in the recovery field. And so at first I was like, I'm gung ho about social work, clinical work. I want to do this recovery stuff. I got my undergrad in psychology. I was gung ho about it. I was fortunate to get a job with that center, with that addiction recovery center at KSU. And that was really, really fun. But I started realizing what I don't want to do with my career. I think a lot of times we focus on, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I don't put as much thought into the career path that I don't want to do. And I know I'm not meant for. So there's a lot better people than me that are social workers and clinical folks, you know, uh, a lot better qualified folks for that. Um, I didn't have the, the capacity for that, you know, and, but through my role at KSU, so I, I, I realized that through my role, my boss gave me flexibility and, you know, we were becoming nationally recognized and doing some research on the field of recovery, not just addiction, but recovery, which is really neat. The transformative process of recovery and looking at the science of that, because we were around a cohort of a hundred students who were in recovery and people were graduating with 4.0 GPAs and going on the PhD programs. We're like, this is, this is neat. You know, this is the recovery story people need to, to hear. And I think there's a associated stigma often, which is one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about this portion of my journey is just the stigma involved with addiction. And we just need folks to talk about the recovery process. But it was it was part of that journey and, and realizing that my job started involving more external affairs stuff and public policy and community engagement. So I got involved with law advocacy at the state level and national level, traveling to D.C., advocating for collegiate recovery programs, learned how to translate science into policymaking and was able to inform some policymaking processes. So all of that, um, I, I, I then realized that I needed to go to grad school for this. And that's where I trickled my way into the Andrew Young School of Georgia State. And then eventually got, got my current job today um, at, at the uh, House of, of Reps at the uh, Georgia Capitol. But those two experiences, being a first-gen American and being a person in long-term recovery for me. And, and you asked the question, what, you know, what inspired me? The manifestation of those two experiences that I identify with feed into my fuel to be of public service. And I was reading some Andrew Young quotes, and he had a quote that says, it is a blessing to die for a cause because you can so easily die for nothing. And I really identify with that. You know, so my my career path and my devotion to be of public service and whatever capacity that may manifest into over the next few decades of my career, that is my, you know, chance to give back to the American dream that was given to me and my family. So when you got to the Andrew Young School and you started grad school and you were studying public policy, what helped you find your way through that process and eventually get into your current career path because you essentially picked up your whole career and turned in a totally different direction over the course of like two and a half years. Can you talk a little bit about how you made such a drastic change and who helped you in that process? Yeah. So when, when I was researching different programs, I, I had to stay full time in my job. Um, and the proximity of the Georgia state campus was very, very feasible for me. And that was a, that, that's something I was looking at, but mainly also just 
as a, a working professional, I needed a program that was, you know, close to where I was working at, at, at KSU. So that, that, that was the decision there. And I knew, I think I wanted something to do with the Georgia state Capitol. So I was like, why not go to a program that its campus is half a mile away from the Georgia state Capitol and maybe that will do something. Um, so those were some decision factors and, one of the more important things I've also learned is the importance of mentorship, you know, and, and there's, you can have several mentors. There's no rule on that I've learned and I can have mentors that help me grow spiritually. I can have mentors that help me grow professionally and academically. So that can be a professor that can be someone that I've met that I want to follow that career path that that person has. So the importance of just calling someone and if I meet someone and I feel really engaged with them and I feel they have something that I want, let me take them out to coffee and just pick their brain for a little bit. And that was one of the processes and one of the steps that I took, especially when I had some the job opportunity job opportunity come up at the state capitol was through that process and it was through the process of choosing the andrew young school as well so that is essential for me so mentorship and which helped me find that path in andrew young school and then also just the simple proximity of that program and it being a nationally recognized program in policy studies so tell me a little bit about that mentorship uh who were some of your mentors at that time in life so one of the mentors was someone I met who's working in, in government affairs. And I was really intrigued by that. And I started just picking his brain and seeing who I, or what steps I need to take next to, to get to my next step in my career. One of the best things he told me um, was that I should always look at this, the, like, what's my plan after this plan? You know, like I have the step in front of me that I want, but I really need to look at the steps beyond that. And that was really essential for me to hear saying like, okay, I, I can't just be short sighted here. I really need to envision what a future and government affairs would look like if that's the path I want to take. But also I need to just gain some uh, acute and immediate experience in this field so that was part of that decision. I think while I was at, at the Andrew Young School, also Jim Martin, who's a prof- who was a professor, I believe maybe the spring semester was his last semester, um, but he was essential as well. And I, I took one of his pu- law for public managers courses, which is really impactful. It wasn't it's not it wasn't as dry as it sounds. He, he made it really interesting, but he also had a very successful career in, in government and being a public servant. And to this day, we, we stay in touch as well. Um, and, and then also I think spiritually too, you know, I, through my recovery program, I've had several mentors come my way and kind of show me the path of recovery that they live and keeping them close. And also I have some close friends too, that I look up to. And I think that's okay. Right. I have some friends that challenge me spiritually and, academically. Um, and we were kind of just growing up. They're also in recovery as well. So I think keeping that network close to me, 
Um, and we kind of just challenge each other as we grow. And I do look up to a lot of my close friends too. So all of that has been just part of the process. So one of the things that you did while you were at the Andrew Young School is you worked as a GRA in the Georgia Health Policy Center. What do you remember about that experience? Well, that was really awesome. That was a really awesome experience. I know you, have, you, you interviewed Dr. Minyard, I think, a few episodes ago I saw. And she's a really awesome leader in the health policy world. And that center is getting known internationally and they've grown so much over the past few years only. And I was there, I guess, two, three years ago. And that was just a really impactful experience to be part of a recognized health policy center and see what a research center actually does. It was so neat. I I remember coming in and that space is so beautiful that they have, which I know they've overgrown. It was overgrown. I was there before. Um, but that it just you go in there and you feel intellectually fed automatically. You feel that you want to be part of the solution, and you're surrounded with folks from all different backgrounds, whether they're academic backgrounds or uh, there are some MDs and 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 physicians that are working there who knew what the work was on the front lines. You had folks that were involved in the public health arena and the healthcare system arena and the business side of the world. So you had all these people come together and health policy center has gotten a lot of grants over the years and they've been charged with finding solutions to all the health policy crises that we had. Fortunately, they brought me on as well to help out with some of the opioid related projects that they had going on. So that time they had just started a lot of these opioid projects. So I was able to, to help, inform the state's opioid response project that they were doing in collaboration with the Department of Public Health and the Attorney General's office and being a part of that process and, and also learning how to think differently about policy. I think so many times we see or folks who perhaps just read the news and see what bills are passed. They they look at policies and they they see the problem that's been addressed. And then they see a solution to address that problem. But sometimes policy, and especially in my arena of, of healthcare and health policy, sometimes it's just it's a game of whack-a-mole. And you pass one piece of legislation that and then another issue arises. And then we saw this with the opioid crisis, especially when we were passing a lot of policy nationally and putting a lot of pressure on big pharma. And then, you know, to, to kind of get a hold on their, the overprescribing issue that was going on nationally. But then you saw a spike in heroin use and we didn't have the infrastructure for that. And today the opioid epidemic continues. So the health policy center was charged with a lot of that and it was needs to be a part of that process. And part of, of like-minded individuals who are passionate about health policy who are way, way smarter than me. And I got to learn so much from them. And I spent a full year there and it was really neat to, to see that. I also got involved with a couple international projects that they were working on, which was cool to see that they were part of an international uh, solution. Um, so that, that was a really neat experience. And luckily I was able to use that. I, I, 
I was so excited when I was able to put that on my, on my resume and then apply for a, the job where I'm at now. Um, so it was, just, it was just neat. And that, that, that's a very positive experience. And, and to this day, they do legislative training every other year for legislators and staff. So this, this year I was able to partake in that as a legislative staff member, <laughs> which is really neat. Um, and talking about issues that are immediate in Georgia and talk about from a research perspective. And so it was, it was, it was a very neat experience. So you mentioned that your work at the health policy center helped you to get your current job. Can you talk about what your current job is and what it is essentially that you do in a nutshell? So I work, I'm an analyst. My official title is fiscal and policy analyst. And the office I work in is the house budget and research office. So we are the nonpartisan fiscal and policy analysis arm of the House of Representatives. My office staffs, uh, the office I work in, I'm not director, the office I, I work in staffs all 38 committees and support those chairmen. But most importantly, we have a nonpartisan approach to supporting all 180 reps that serve in the House of Reps at Georgia. Um, at the, at the Georgia Capitol. So that, that isn't a nutshell w- what I do. And m- most of us on staff also do policy and budget. So we're part of the budget writing process as well f- on for the house. So we support the chairman of the appropriations committees, which there's several of those covering different arenas of, of the state budget. The state budget is the only thing that our elected state officials are mandated, constitutionally mandated to do while they're at the state capitol. So it's a very important process for the state of Georgia to pass a budget. So in in a nutshell, that's my title and that's that's the office. So day to day looks different and whether you're in session or outside of session, session typically, there's 40 session days each year, typically between January and April. Um, But this year is just really strange. So on a typical session day, walk us through what that looks like for you. Sure. I, I think it's really important for, for us to stay informed on the news cycle. So I, that's the first thing I typically do each day. And I, I typically review the news cycle three times a day, morning, lunch, and the evening. I remember a discussion when I was at the Andrew Young School as a student, and it was it was a discussion in class about the mix of politics and policy. And, you know, do you choose one or the other? Do you focus on good policy? Do you first focus on the politics of it? And really, um, what I've what I, I learned then and I, I see now, it's really an understanding of both and how they're intertwined. And you know, we we're strictly, like I said, strictly nonpartisan in our office. But I think it's important to understand what's at play with folks who are sponsoring the bills. Um, is there a major policy issue happening in the state that this is addressing? One of the chairwomen I work closely with, she always says, like, there's no perfect policy. You know, there's no perfect bill. Um, because there's so many different pieces to a bill, so many different entities that are impacted by one piece of legislation that no one's going to be 100% happy with it. But it's about bringing folks together and trying to 
uh, write a piece of legislation that moves the state forward. Um, so for me, I think it's really important to stay involved and be informed on the news cycle and what's happening. One example on that is the recent AJC investigative series on elder abuse and realizing how much of an issue that was in the state of Georgia. And it really was causing a lot of noise. And obviously in my arena, I staff the health and human services committee. And that, that was a, a big issue that a lot of folks were, were looking at. So, you know, that, that was one research area that I was doing in, in, during the interim. But again, seeing and just staying informed on, on what that looks like and day to day, especially during a legislative session, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. So I think when you're in a meeting, you just want to be informed about what's at play with the various legislators that you're working with. Um, and just stay informed out of respect. I think a lot of that has to do with that. We staff all the committees. So uh, I currently work several committees, whether it's it's a, my appropriations committee or insurance or special access quality health care, health and human services. Those are my main committees that I staff. So if there's a committee work day, supporting the chairman, seeing what bills are, are being passed, and there's, there's a lot of... Um, help from the interns there and just ensuring everything is covered, right? Ensuring that all the members are going to have the right stuff in their folder. Sometimes there's changes to the bill an hour before a meeting, staying informed about all of that. Um, if we have anyone testifying, ensuring that they know where to go um, and just making sure everything on the agenda is covered. The goal is to ensure during a committee day, if we have a meeting that the chairman feels prepared and supported, this is really interesting. I think a lot of people don't think about is that we still run in the state of Georgia. Everything's on paper. So, you know, my office, we're, we're the ones that we get the actual physical bill and we bring it to the committee hearing. And if it passes, then we have to get signature from the chair person of that committee saying that it has passed committee. And then we take it to the clerk's office. We have to officially report the bill that's been passed. That has to get signed as well. That goes into archives. And then one copy then goes, stays with the clerk's office. And then those are the bills that are read from the house floor the next day. And then they then have to be second read as well. And, uh, and then they can have a vote on the house floor. And then that either goes onto the Senate or it dies. Um, so we're part of that process too. So ensuring there's a lot of logistical stuff that, that we cover during the budget process as well. That's a very busy time. So we stay engaged with our state agencies that we work with and we have a lot of questions. And so the governor proposes his or her budget um, right now. Governor Kemp writes a budget. He sets a, a revenue estimate of how much the state will spend in the next fiscal year. So he writes the budget with, with the Office of Planning and Budget. And then the House receives the budget. And then the body, and we, we support the body, decide on how that money should be appropriated. A lot of times there's agrees with the governor. I think this year there's uh, a good portion of the budget we disagreed on. Um, and uh, we just informed that process. We helped the chairman. That's all we do, right? We, we gather information, 
chairman have questions about the budget and that they want us to look into something, we, we look into that and we just support the appropriations committee through that process. And it can be timely and it's tedious, um, but it, it can be rewarding at the end when, you know, you're on the house floor and you hear the a budget passed. Um, this year, the speaker of the house gave us a standing ovation. It's just, it's really special to be part of that process. And, you know, we're, we're behind the scenes as staff. We're, we're behind the scenes as nonpartisan staff. Um, we're, we're not in it for the fame or anything like that. Right. There, there is none of that, but I think we're proud as, as a body, um, as, as an office in the work that we do. And all of that is Shout out to my boss, Martha Wickton, who's who's a, who's a rock star at the state capitol. Um, she's been around the state capitol for um, a few decades now and is very well respected nationally. And just she leads us well and then teaches us like, you know, this is we're we're being of service to the state of Georgia here. And so those long hours and long nights, like it's well worth it at the end. And and and, and you get to learn a lot. So between covering committee stuff, meeting with advocates um, about their issues. There's all folks that have budget requests as well. So just getting all the information, translating that to the committees so that they can appropriate the money as they see best fit. Um, that's responsible for the Georgia taxpayer. So it seems like there's a lot of, like you said, uh, tedium and minutia involved in this job. How do you keep yourself excited to go into work every day, knowing that you're going to be doing this kind of like in the trenches work that can admittedly be a lot. It's very detail oriented. It takes a lot of attention. Yeah. I I think there has to be a sense of willingness to learn more. And I, I, that's why I love about the healthcare arena. And I'm sure every one of my colleagues that covers their respective arenas will say the same thing. There's so much to learn and the healthcare landscape, especially just ever changing year to year, uh, there's new issues that arise that need addressing and uh, learning about that process during the interim outside of session. We often look at a lot of issues and we take in requests from reps and who ask us to do research on certain policy issues it's sometimes neat when months later you see a bill pass and you're like, Oh, I remember doing research on that. Um, but being part of that process and just staying, staying informed on, on all of that stuff and learning new stuff. There, there's so much, so much to learn. So that keeps me excited every day. I'm learning something new. Uh, you know, every day I'm, I'm meeting someone new and, that that definitely is exciting and then the the fast-paced environment during session you really don't know what to expect and um the hours can be long and you know your morning can be you know a bit better and uh then the afternoon can be absolutely crazy and then the afternoon can turn into a long evening um so during session you you really don't know what to expect and then in the room um, managing several different projects. And we also staff study committees, so traveling around the state. I remember last year I went on a tour um, of rural hospitals. It was really important for me as an analyst to get out into the field 
and one, sometimes see what the legislation that's passed or some things that we pass in the budget, how that's being implemented around the state, but then also seeing the state of healthcare in rural Georgia. Really important for me as an analyst in health policy to see the, the state of healthcare in rural Georgia. So we visit a bunch of rural hospitals. And so a lot of that happens outside of session. But all that just kind of keeps me excited about about the job. You really don't know what you're going to get. And every single day, I mean, from researching Lyme disease to researching elder abuse um, to researching car insurance laws in other states, I mean, there, there's just, I mean, at any given day, I can be writing a brief on something or a, a, a memo for rep on something and they trust us, right? We, we don't, we don't, we don't tell anyone, oh, I'm, I'm doing this policy project for so-and-so. That's an important part of our job. We, we, uh, we have a trust in our office and, and the reps trust us. And they, if they ask us for a research topic, we give it to them and they do with it as, as they wish. And that that's our role is simply supporting the general assembly. So working in the health policy space, I can only imagine that not only is your physical work situation affected, but the actual work you're doing is affected by COVID-19 and all of the various and sundry issues and considerations that have arisen as a part of the pandemic. Can you speak a little bit to how your world is a little bit different now than it was maybe six months ago? I'll tell you what, Taylor, it's been strange because the Thursday before session was suspended was crossover day, which means all the bills have to make it to the, to the chamber over. So that is typically one of two really long days at the Capitol. Uh, I think that was a 19 or 20 hour work day. And then the next day session was suspended. So you went from 160 miles per hour to waking up and you know, your body is ready to get rolling with another day and there is no legislative session day. Um, so being being in that headspace, I think it took some adjusting for everyone, legislators, staff. Um, and but we we've adapted, right? Like our service capacity to the reps has not ceased to exist. We've adjusted some of our processes. Like, for example, we, we write a lot of briefs for the the members but a lot of times that we only publish those during the interim we research topics that we think and we see and we hear are being discussed nationally and we project or estimate are going to be policy issues in the upcoming legislative session so during the interim we write a lot of briefs and publish those but now we've started publishing those briefs now and we have adjusted that you know all that is covid related and so keeping our members up to date on what's happening um, at the federal level, how that's going to impact Georgia. Uh, and that is something that we've been doing as, as an office, but continuing to stay in touch with our agencies for us, budget staff continue to stay in touch um, with, you know, reps and the chairman that we were closely with ensuring they don't need anything. And as stuff comes up, a lot of there's a lot of concerns out there with constituents on all sorts of different issues. So sometimes we're asked to connect folks to resources 
Um, so I think most importantly for us is to stay informed. There's so many moving pieces, especially in, within the healthcare sector right now, as it relates to COVID, just staying informed a lot of that um, and making sure that we can inform the reps. And there's a lot of informative streamlines that they get um, from from the news and from different uh, articles that are being published. So we're just an additional streamline of information um, and just ensuring that our reps are fully informed so they can continue to make the right decisions for the state. Well, I don't envy you in that. That sounds like a lot of very long, very complicated days right now. These are strange, unprecedented times for sure. So my last question is directed towards our current students at the Andrew Young School. What would you recommend to any of them who are interested in working in state legislation or health policy, any of the fields you touch? What would you say they could do now to prepare themselves for the kind of career that you're having? That's a really great question, Taylor. Um, And I'd like to take a step back and really look at if if this is the work that you want to do or or for any career path. What is it in your personal life experience that has fed into your identity as a person and how has that identity or does that identity then fuel a certain career path for you? So in my experience, you know, again, being a first gen American, being a person, long-term recovery, those are two things that has fed my um, passion for public service and to, to work in government. And, um, so first is realizing what, what are things I'm passionate about? How do I identify as a person? And does that, should that, um, fuel my career path? So answering that question for myself is, is really important and something I, I, I would suggest as well. And, then, you know, if, if they're interested in coming and getting involved with public policy at the state level, for example, I think the, the first question one needs to ask is, do you want to be partisan? Do you want to be nonpartisan? There's a lot of opportunities for both. Do you want to be more in the political sphere or more in the policy sphere? Um, and one great tool at Georgia State is the internship program that they have with the Georgia General Assembly, which is available to undergrad and grad students, to my understanding. And I've had an experience with several interns and and the Georgia Assembly internship program has partnerships with all schools around the state. And so seeing if if I want to work a session, an intern during a session, which I believe you get class credit for, then that is a great way um, to get firsthand experience and knowledge of what the internal workings of a committee and office look like. And typically interns, they have various roles. The interns I work with uh, staff and help intern the, the chairman chairman's office of the committee. Um, So they get to see, for example, health and human services intern gets to see a lot of the inner workings and the chairwoman's very uh, um, informative to the process and includes an intern in on some meetings. And you kind of just see the discussions that take place. And really one of the cool things is you see the bipartisan nature of the Georgia General Assembly oftentimes. Obviously, there's some stuff that comes up every now and then. But at the end of the day, if you look at the percentage of bills that have bipartisan support, 
Um, it's, it's really astonishing, something that you kind of forget about when, when you look at the news. Um, so it's really neat to see that process. You see government at a different level, at a grassroots level. Um, and really you see how the sausage is made. Um, and that's a really informative sport. So I, I would encourage any students of Georgia state to look into the internship program. And if that's a start that they want to take and get experience and you may realize that that work is not for you and that's fine, but I bet you, you'll gain some sort of professional experience that you can utilize in your next job. Um, and you'll also meet a lot of people. There's all networking that takes place there. So that's good. And then also if there's a certain policy arena that a student may be interested in, I would encourage them to look at that specific agency. Also, there's several different associations that represent industries. That's another avenue that, that you can go. I think there's a lot of streamlines um, a lot of opportunities for students to get involved. And it depends where they're at with their school. Um, it depends what their interests are. Um, but there's a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to be gained that will only benefit um, students during, during that experience. Well, Michael, it's been great sitting down with you today. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and I've uh, enjoyed my time as a student, Andrew Young, and now I get to be a proud alumni. So I really appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion with you and hope all stays well and healthy with you. The Andrew Young School Podcast is produced by Taylor Olmsted with production assistance from Jennifer Giratano. This episode was edited by Carlisa Johnson. Our executive producer is Ivani Raval. We are a production of Georgia State University's Andrew Young School of Policy Studies located in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. To learn more about the Andrew Young School, visit us online at aysps.gsu.edu or follow us on social media at aysps.gsu. And we'll be back next month interviewing another policy thought leader from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University.